You're listening to the Rapid Realization Podcast, where we discuss the mind, body, and everything on healing from within, for you to get inspired to finding your own inner wisdom, to be more self-actualized and become aware of your highest potential. And I'm your host, Dr. Anne-Marie Belkansky, a certified clinical hypnotherapist and mind coach at Rapid Realization, and I welcome you. So let's begin. And welcome to today's episode number 41, where we are talking about change, but particularly why people don't change. And maybe you have friends or a particular family member, and you just see them repeating a particular pattern, and you're like, why aren't they changing? And I hope that this podcast episode maybe highlights some light as to one of the reasons why they would not be changing. And this relates to me as well. Like, you know, why don't I work out more? Or why don't I uh, maybe uh, spend more time on my podcast? Or why don't I fill in the blank? You know, if if you maybe have something, you're like, why aren't I doing more of this? Even though you have all the logic and the knowledge and understanding of, you know, why this would be better for you, for some reason, there's no change occurring. And you know, this is one that I definitely observe and I, I talk with people and sometimes I, I I really want to get clear as to what is it that you want. And even though we want it, there may be something that's holding us back from really fully doing that. And part of that is an emotional, of course, an emotional component. So let me explain this by giving you a story or a metaphor. So basically, there's this man who owns a dog and, you know, he invites a friend over and this friend comes over and he hears the dog like crying and whining from the other room and he doesn't think too much about it. He's like, all right, maybe he wants to come into this room and he's not allowed to come into it. So he doesn't really ask any questions. So then he leaves the house and then, um, you know, doesn't really think much about it. And then, then, then another time comes around where the opportunity came for him to come over again. And he came over to the man's house and he hears the dog again whining and crying in the back room. And he finally had the urge to ask his friend, who is the owner, um, what's up with your dog? He keeps on whining and crying. And he's like, oh, he's laying on a nail. And he's like, laying on a nail? He's like, well, why doesn't he just get up? And he, the owner is like, well, I guess it doesn't hurt enough for him to get up. <laughs> And so basically the moral of the story is that, you know, this dog is just laying on this nail and he's been doing it for so long that, you know, he's sitting there and crying about it, but it must not hurt enough for him to get up from it. And this story really relates to a lot of us in regards to why we're not changing. The The metaphor of the nail is really just like any component within your life. So maybe for me, you know, if I'm thinking about like, why don't I work out more? <laughs> I'm thinking about, okay, well, you know, I'm working out three times a week and that's sufficient enough. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I eat really well. So, you know, overall, like my health is not really declining enough for, for me to push to want to do that. I don't have a motive behind it. The pain of working out and getting up, you know, working out more than five days a week is, emotionally is more painful than it than it is for me to continue just working out three days a week. And so that's really it. It's just that the pain of change is far more intense than the pain of just staying the same. So then what needs to happen? That means the pain of not changing and being in my same situation would need to be 
intense enough for me to want to change. And so there will have to be a point where I really, you know, am feeling, okay, maybe I don't have enough energy or I'm not able to stand up for long periods or run for long periods or, or go out and do the things that I really love doing. And the pain of missing out on all those things is becoming almost unbearable now, so much so that that motivates me. The pain of not doing anything, of not changing my routine is now more painful enough for me to change. So basically, in order for us to really make a change, the situation or something needs to um, be heightened. It needs to be heightened enough for us to really want the change. It needs to be to a point of someone put it this way. They're like, you mean like rock bottom? And I was like, yeah, you basically have to get to that point of rock bottom where there's no other option for you but to change. And that's why, you know, there are there are people out there that are continuing the same pattern because it hasn't gotten to that point for them. Hasn't gotten to the point where, you know, it hurts too much to continue to do the same thing. And if it does hurt and it really hurts, then I would say then there may be something else, meaning they're gaining something from that experience that they identify by. And the fear of losing that identity of self, of that change, is far more fearful, is far more terrifying, as opposed to keeping, keeping that identity, keeping that same continual pattern is just more comforting because it's like, it's all I know. And when, when all you know is all you have, and the fear of the unknown is far more intense, then that means you're just going to continue to do the same thing. Because the unknown is definitely something much more fearful, much more painful, because you have you can't even conceptualize the idea of how life will be without this. And I've worked with a number of people that have this, so I'm not sure if this resonates with you, but these are these are what is holding you back is that the idea, the conceptual idea of, of that, you identify so much with what is going on right now that the fear of losing this is far more scary. And so now let's just recap a bit. So, you know, the pain of continuing to do the same thing over and over and over has not intensified enough. So that means that the strongest emotion will win. So if the com- if you feel comfortable within the situation, that emotion is going to win until you are uncomfortable. You're so completely uncomfortable. Then that emotion is going to win the uncomfortableness of that feeling, because if we change, then we know that we're going to be so uncomfortable and the, the thought of that uncomfortableness with that change is so overwhelmingly scary. And so that's, we're not going to change. <laughs> we're not going to change because the stronger emotion will win. So going back to like that dog situation, you know, the dog was very comfortable in a sense of just sitting there and it didn't know any other experience besides laying on that nail. And so it would complain about the nail and maybe you got something from laying on that nail. Who knows? And that's the other component that we want to look at is, are we getting something from this experience? Like, is it what we identify by? And the loss of identity is so much more intense and fearful that we don't even want to lose that. So the dog may identify by that pain that it experiences from laying on the, na- on the nail. It's all it knows. It's been laying on that nail for since it was a puppy. And if it's been laying on that nail since it was a puppy, then it doesn't, it it fears, well, oh my God, what will I fear without that nail? What will I fear without that nail? (laughs) It's never had even that, that experience. So the unknown is just far more terrifying. 
But I'm going to tell you, you know, that obviously without that nail, it will be able to heal and learn and, and learn new ways of coping. And so whenever we really want to excite a change in someone and help someone really de- decide what is best for them in regards to the change, I run through a couple of different strategies to really help them get a clear picture of uh, of the pain that is being created. Because most people, like they're staying exactly where they are because in that moment, it is what feels comfortable for them. And temporarily, it is the most easiest thing to do. So all they want to do is just not have any uncomfortable feelings. They don't want to go through discomfort. And so I will ask them, okay, well, what if you were continuing to do the same thing? And, you know, if if you're going through something right now, I want you to ask yourself, if you continue to do the same exact thing that you're doing right now in that situation for, you know, another year, what would come of that? Let's let's bring up my 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 workout example. So if I continue only to work out for three days a week, um, you know, I, I probably continue to teeter along where I am right now. Well, and then what will happen in five years? Mm, you know, I don't I don't really push myself so heavily during the three times a week. You know, I, I could definitely do more. And that means my muscles, like my joints, I, you know, I'm, I'm getting older, my, my, my bone mass is going down. So I probably won't, my bones won't be as strong in five years. And then what would happen in 10 years? Oh, in 10 years, you know, I'm, I'm my metabolism goes down. So I'm definitely going to probably gain, you know, some weight. And, you know, if I just continue to work out three times a week. And so I could continue to think about it. What about in 20 years? And, you know, now it's starting to feel a bit more, a bit more painful. Oh, in 20 years. Okay. You know, my metabolism is going to go down, you know. Uh, three times a week is good, but if I did five times a week, mm, you know, it definitely would have been better. It would have had more muscle mass. You know, I probably wouldn't have to work out as much as I get older too, just because I've I would be used to it now. So I'm thinking about all this, and then what I do is like, you know, I switch back to the other option. I say, okay, well, let's say you did decide to now work out five days a week. Now let's switch your 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 decision. Let's say you chose to change whatever it is that you're going through right now. Let's say you did change and you made that decision. Okay, so if I made that decision to work out five days a week, um, you know, I definitely would tone up much faster and, you know, I would have um, feel good even more better about myself because I'm more active and, you know, within a year. All right. So let's say, let's say five years, what would happen in five years? Oh, in five years, you know, maybe I'll be able to really, you know, do my first like 10K and, um, you know, I would probably be much more toned and fit and it would be very routine for me. It wouldn't be any issue at all. Just be part of who I am, my muscles, you know, and my bone structures, like um, I would have better, better bone structure because I'm doing weight bearing activities, which is gaining muscle mass and uh, bone mass. And so then I think, what about 10 years? Oh, in 10 years? Well, you know, I mean, my metabolism goes down. But the thing is, is I'm making sure that I'm exercising more frequently. And, you know, so I think you get kind of where I'm going with this. So in in 10 years, you know, I'm, I'm feeling much better when I make that decision. You know, the amount of the amount of comfort that I get in the long run for making that decision is is far more better. 
And so I would ask you, like, which one would you decide if you look at the whole picture from a point of, you know, the next five or 10 years? If you continue to do the same exact thing that you're doing right now, how how comfortable is it really? And how comfortable is it really if you decide to change now? And that takes a couple of different shifts for someone is now they're starting to really feel the the discomfort, number one, of staying the same. And now that is becoming more intense. That starts to then push them to want to change because they see that if they continue to do the same thing, nothing really changes. They're, they're doing the same thing. But even, even with the decision to change, it, it, it opens up the possibility of getting some relief, more relief possibly. And that idea could excite someone. But the thing is, if someone is wanting to stay the same because of um, something that they think they're gaining from the situation, then that's that's a different thing. Then no matter how much they look at it, that is kind of hidden in the background. Like, for example, let's say someone that wants to make a lot of money, you know, or have this really awesome opportunity for this new job where they're going to make a lot of money. So and and this is a common one that we have a lot of money beliefs. And so let's say this this idea of of getting you know, making all this money is such a, a wonderful thing for them, but um, they may self-sabotage themselves from either the the business venture succeeding or, you know, from obtaining that new career. And the reason why is because deep down inside, they're getting something from maybe not having a lot of money. <laughs> I know, like, what could someone get from that, right? But maybe they get a sense of feeling like they're a good person, because they tied a belief to having money as being a bad person. Oh, well, if I have a lot of money, then I'm not good because there's a belief that money is evil. And so then they're getting something from from not having that. They're getting a sense of identity that I am good. And that will that may overpower the the then them choosing to get that job or pursue that opportunity because there's this hidden belief that, um, well, if I have that, then I lose my goodness. And so there may be hidden beliefs behind why someone may not change as well. So let's let's go back to that dog. Maybe there is a secondary gain for that dog. And that's what it's called. It's basically called a secondary gain or an additional gain that's kind of hidden that we don't really realize that 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 we get something from having that issue still. So maybe that dog um, would get attention. Maybe it identified by laying on that nail so much and it would, you know, get a lot of attention from its owner, you know, soothing and, you know, that that attention was so good that they feared losing, you know, that nail because then they wouldn't get so much attention anymore. And this can play out in many different ways and so many different relationships and schemes. But, you know, someone that maybe it's kind of like a little kid that gets sick. And then if that little kid gets, you know, lollipops and candy and anything they want to eat just because they're sick, you know, they're they're gaining something from being sick. So kids will even pretend to be sick, you know, to maybe miss out on school or get lollipops or popsicles or whatever it is because they have a cold. And so they're getting something from from having that. So that's called a secondary gain. And so we have to be aware of what is someone really gaining from having something is it either uh, they're gaining a sense of identity because they don't know anything any other way? And that lack of identity is so more uh, terrifying 
then holding on to that? Or is it just that there's not enough pain for them to want to change because it's just kind of in a place of comfort, a sense of comfort, you know, a temporary comfort. It's kind of like if you ever had a friend or a family member that is in that relationship where the relationship is just, eh, you know, it's just it's OK. <laughs> it's not it's not really the best relationship, nor is it really the worst relationship. But you can just see that they're just in a place of like contentness of like just being like the the idea of leaving it is far more work than the idea of staying is you know is is just easy and so that's why they continue with it because the relationship the issues within the relationship are not bad enough for them to want to change to want to leave it and the idea of leaving it is far more work or scary to leave it and so people stay in relationships that are not really meant for them for a long time and so, you know, these these are a lot of different reasons why people will not change. And so if you are that person, then, of course, you would take this information and, like, really listen to it. But if you know someone in your life that is also that maybe that other that person that you're dealing with, that you're frustrated and you give advice and maybe you give feedback and you talk to them and they vent to you a lot, you know, I'm going to say then you, you can't get you can't force them to change that you really have to see what it is what is it that they really want that they think that they're getting from their situation like and and really hear like what is it that they want you could just tell when someone is not ready for that change and that's one of the things that I I help identify like to make sure that and sometimes people will be contradicting you know you can tell there's a part of them that wants to change and a part that doesn't want to change and so we got to listen to which part is bigger which part is gaining something from this that is going to hold them back so I work on the parts that is preventing change because obviously when people are getting to me, they are wanting change. So there's a part of them that does want change, but a part of them that doesn't want their change because it's too either scary, fearful, or they identify by holding on to that for so long. You know, one common example would be like a cigarette smoker. And, you know, hypnotherapy is um, the, the, the realm that I practice is all about like cigarette smokers. I don't typically, I don't focus on cigarette smokers, but, you know, if I'm working with someone and that's kind of like, an extra. It's kind of like the cherry on the top. Oh, you smoke cigarettes? Okay, I'll throw in some good suggestions and educate you about so that you no longer are a smoker. And but it's, you know, if people call me just for cigarette smoking, then I, I, t I tend to refer those out. But, um, you know, when it comes to cigarette smokers, sometimes we identify by that so much that, you know, that we hold on to it because we we think that oh I am a smoker. No, the first thing we do is we 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 take away the identity of being that. So no, it's not that you are a smoker. You're in the act of smoking. So the behavior is smoking. Doesn't mean that you're a smoker. And the same thing goes for really any condition, disease, or you know, um, even even for addiction. You know, the first thing that I do is I I start to I start to detach that thing to their identity because it's not that I am this. It's not that I am that. It's that I feel this. I feel that. Or I am in, I am experiencing this. So it's not that I am a depressed person. It's that I am experiencing depression. It's not that I am an anxious person. I am experiencing anxiety. It's not that I am an addict. I am experiencing addiction. <laughs> and, you know, identifying by that could also um, be, uh, be holding you to that. 
And so I like to separate the identity of that to oneself and just show that that is the behavior. That's what we're doing so that it becomes more realistic in, in, in being able to change that behavior because it's now not a part of you. It's not who you are. And that's one of the first parts of creating change is uh, starting to see that, you know, we are not that. That's just the behavior that we're going through because everybody has experiences um, such as depression. Everybody experiences the emotion of depression, of feeling sad, of feeling alone, of feeling, you know, maybe not good enough or of feeling angst, of feeling tension in their body or feeling, you know, moments of uh, just or binging <laughs> like, you know, there's there's moments where I definitely become an addict with chocolate. And so, you know, we, we all have these the, we can experience these emotions and feelings that we create these diagnoses around that become labeling systems that say that I am this, you know, it becomes a part of you. But that the thing is, that is not you. You know, you're an individual person with your own individual needs, your own individual, you know, spirit, like you have these feelings and emotions that come and go and they do change. Emotions do change. They never stay stagnant in one place. The one thing that will be consistent is that, that you are you. But you are beyond even just your name. You know, a name is a labeling system that we put upon ourselves so that we can kind of understand, you know, hey, they're instead of me saying, screaming out, hey, you tall person, (laughs) you know, it's just our names, you know, we, we, we tie them to ourselves, but we are so much more than just our name. It's just a labeling system for us to communicate. We are we are these humans that have these personalities, and those personalities are very um, consistent with us. Like your your morals and your values and how you live by are really there is a deeper personality of who you are. But that behavior is not you, and so we have all experienced behaviors that we're not proud about. But you know that behavior does not define who you are. You know, we have to go through certain behaviors to be able to learn. Like, you know, if I've ever, uh, let me say, let's say I cheated on an exam, you know, of course, I'm not proud of that behavior, but that's not what defines who I am. I'm not a cheater. I know that I'm not. And so maybe that behavior that happened at one point was is not who I am. And so I just have to forgive and let go and recognize that I am a good person, that I don't cheat, that I'm honest and that I am, you know, I have uh, high integrity. And so what I say, I do. And you know, as but the, but back at one point, <laughs> there was an experience where the opportunity was available to me. Maybe I had a, the, a fake test running around and we all had the opportunity to look at it. Hey, if you had the old test running around the classroom and you can look at it and most people will look at it. <laughs> but, <laughs> so I hope my teachers aren't listening to me right now. <laughs> but uh, but the thing is, that's the, the, of course, I felt guilty, you know, and nobody that doesn't mean that that is who I am. Like I am not defined by that behavior. And when we are looking to change, we we have to see the behavior as being separate from us and not be identified for it because it could be holding us back from that. You know, oh, this is this is this is just who I am. You know, I'm an addict or this is just who I am. I'm a depressed person and this is just who I am. No, it's not who you are. That's the behavior that's happening. And we all have experienced those types of behaviors at some point in our life. And so if we can detach ourselves from those from that behavior, recognizing that it is not part of us, then we can easily change now. And especially if we can see why the change would be beneficial for us in the long run. Like if we look at the overall totality of our life, like what would you have chosen? Like if you ask yourself right now, 
like if if you were going through something and if you asked yourself right now 10 years ago like if you had the same situation or something would you have changed it 10 years ago you know i've had people that like really want to go to college and they're like oh i'm too old well how long have you wanted to go to college oh i wanted to go since i was you know in my early 30s and now you're in your late 40s uh what about back then were you too old then yes i was too old then <laughs> like okay i know people that are in their 50s and they decide to go back for their degree because they want to learn or do something i'm not saying go back and do your degree i'm just saying if it, if there's no such thing as being too old there's no such thing as doing something too late we can choose to change and so if you looked back at yourself 10 years ago would you have made that change i'm sure your future self would have th- would have thanked you for that of taking the leap So then imagine now, if you did not make the change now, what would come of that 10 years from now? And if you made the change, would your future self look back and be thankful? (laughs) So that's one technique you could do and really ask yourself. And when you do ask yourself, really envision that 10 years from now, what would life look like if I continued to make the same decision that I'm making right now? Or if I did decide to make a change, what would that what would come of that 10 years from now? And this is something you can even ask your friends or family or whoever else is going through this experience. Just be like, you know, what do you think would happen if you continued to do the same thing for six months, for a year? What do you think that could happen in five and ten? And then it may it may push up some feelings and highlight the uncomfortableness that would be experienced that from not changing in order to help them to change. And so these are these are my tips for today. <laughs> so I hope that I hope this helped um, helped out. And um, until next time, thank you. Thanks for listening, and I hope you gained some newfound insights or realizations. If you would like future alerts on new episodes, be sure to hit the subscribe. You can also join me, your host, on Instagram to continue this conversation, ask questions, or just to give us feedback because we love hearing from you, the listener. Just search in the handle Ann Balkansky, or you can check below in the show notes all of our social media links, as well as how else you can get connected. Until next time, have a great one.